Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to Down and Chat Podcast. This is Dan. And I'm Martin. And this is a podcast where two empathetic, evidence-based thinkers doing deep dives on a variety of topics. I did not write this. I just want to point this out <laughs> right now for people who are listening this to this. Is, uh, to all our listeners, this is Dan's ego talking. <laughs> Anyways, so back to Martin's awful written script. We're alluding to something that we'll talk about later. Anyways, so this is a podcast where two empathetic evidence-based thinkers doing deep dives on a variety of topics from exploring our perceptions of society to random stuff we watch on the interwebs. This is awful, Martin. So long. And this week, we (laughs) have our returning guest, KP. Welcome back, KP. Hi. Hi. Hello. It's nice to be back. I see KP. We're glad to have you back. I see KP waving very dramatically at the camera. But none of you can actually see it because we may or may not upload this on YouTube hello, or any hello, kind of visual hello. visual source. And um, so and now he's wow. giving me two fingers. Wow. Two you very... weren't supposed to say that. Well, I guess you could, but you yeah. weren't supposed to so that, you know, they can I'm imagine what I'm describing for the audience. KP's having that. a RuPaul moment, apparently. That's that's good accessibility, Martin. I expected you of all people to do that. So I applaud yes. you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Really uh... to accommodate all our listeners really uh bringing that ux design into our podcast oh god don't remind me of her <laughs> <laughs> anyways to start our podcast today we'll be doing an activity called one word pulse check and here's Ooh. how it's going to work for this podcast you're everyone's gonna have a go and we're gonna share a word or phrase that represents how we feel today i'll go first i guess I'm going to say glutton is my word of the day. <laughs> what did you binge on, Dan? <laughs> I had Mr. Chimek, which oh, is... Oh, shikies. I, I haven't had that in a hot minute. I have never heard of a person say shikies before in any context <laughs> of any sentence. Think, that was think, really weird to hear. Think, oh, shit, and think, Yikes. But when you combine them together, you don't say shikes because that sounds bad. Are we on Scooby-Doo? No, but hold on. I was about to mention that, but (laughs) Scooby-Doo is not as... Like, Martin's in a different dimension, all right? If Scooby-Doo had like higher <laughs> level, higher level dimension. Like, if Scooby-Doo was like in this dimension, Martin's like five dimensions away with that. Yes, I I am elevated five levels above Scooby-Doo. Elevated is uh, one way to put it. I would like to say, you know... I've ascended. Descended into, (laughs) like, absurdity is how I would put it. Into profound language and vocabulary. Uh, I don't know about that. Incredibly uh, profound. Anyways, just to put it simply, I had Korean fried chicken. Yes. It was pretty good. Soy sauce, garlic... I also had some spicy one and had bubble tea as well, which is always really nice. Did you notice they got more expensive since COVID? Mr. Ch- Mr. Florida's chicken, is it? Yeah. How much like, was it before? I'm not surprised. That place was always expensive to be careful. It was always okay. expensive. Yes. But how much was one order? 34. Like one of those. 34. One of those, right? It was 34. Yeah, it was like half and half, 34. Yeah. So before, I think. I think- 20-ish? Yeah, 20-something. 20 like 25, 28 yeah. maybe. Yeah. But not even in the 30s. So they actually bumped it up quite a bit. I wonder if that has to do with, because I hear a lot of instances where, and I don't know if you purchased Mr. Chimek through, what do they call, 
food delivery applications like Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes, whatever, I have heard that there are some retailers who bump up their markup price because they know that Uber Eats bumps it up more or something so that they get a bigger cut of the deal. And so restaurants have to upscale a bit more to end up getting the money that they think they need to get in the first place or or something like that. So I I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, but that place is hell of expensive for just your average KFC and I'm not surprised that they just increased the price even more. Okay, hold hold on. Freeze. (laughs) KFC, I enjoyed it as a kid, and I enjoyed it solely and exclusively because of the 2D Tuesdays. So, Dan? What? KFC stands for Korean Fried Chicken? Excuse you. Wow. Okay, hold up, Martin. (laughs) That's not very good. That's not very good UX design, Martin. (laughs) What? We're using a well-known terminology. Uh, well, clearly, I don't know it. <laughs> no, it's it's something I I just I started using because the actual KFC sucks. Uh, it's the... no, it's trash it's, level it's, fried it's, chicken. It's, it's awful. Like... It's TFC trash fried chicken. Wow. Yeah. No, it, it used to be good, and then they fell off somewhere for whatever reason. So the the new and improved and just better KFC is Korean fried chicken. Yeah, so I'm going to say after today's experience, like, yes, uh, if we're going to go with KFC Korean fried chicken, it's not the best fried chicken I've ever had, right? It's it's not just good, mind you. It's still good, but mind you, anything fried is good. You can't really go wrong with fried chicken. I mean, I enjoy my fried... KFC. <laughs> or the Kentucky fried chicken. That's when you're going wrong. <laughs> So apparently, apparently, Martin's a hater of uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Apparently, so if you're gonna direct hate, please direct it towards him. Okay, I'm just upset because they used to be good. I'm disappointed. They let me down. They used to be good. You know what I used I to remember- do? That's really gross. I used to uh, take the skin of like the chicken breast. I would rip it off, and then I would take you know their coleslaw, the green like mush. I would like right? I would put it under the skin and wrap it up. <laughs> oh, see, I knew you were gonna say that. And that actually right. sounds very delicious. No, no, you're I right. That is that. gross. So no, it's a, it's that. a chicken skin coleslaw burrito. That see, sounds okay. delicious. The coleslaw isn't even that great in the first place, and then you wrap it in like oily, like greasy ass like chicken skin. No, that's gonna be a pass. It's actually like when I was a kid, it's pretty good. You know, you had the salty, you had the sweet. The crunch and the squish. Okay. Squish. <laughs> the, well, the coleslaw. Eh, eh, nah, nah. I, I don't like their coleslaw. So look, by all means, it is not the best coleslaw in the world. Like it is probably ranked the lowest of the low. But like, I didn't even understand what coleslaw was. Like, I didn't realize coleslaw was not like lime, like neon lime green. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. I did my not first realize experience... coleslaw was not neon lime green until I was like mid into my teen, like deep into my teenage years. I'm like, this isn't coleslaw. This isn't like neon highlighter green. <laughs> my first experience with coleslaw was also through uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Really? And yeah, I agree. I also thought it was always lime green until I had the real stuff, and I was like, oh my god, this is great. I can't remember my first experience with coleslaw. I want to say it's something like maybe like Swiss chalet or something. Mm. Yeah. Which, I've never had Swiss chalet. 
Like, uh, okay. I feel like I'm not missing out on you're, much. You're either. really not missing out. Like for those who are listening from the United States or whatnot, I don't know what your where you get your rotisserie chicken, but that's where we typically get our rotisserie chicken. Or at least it was. If you're going to go to a restaurant for rotisserie chicken, that's where you would go. I'd probably say the U.S.'s equivalent is probably Sonic, but I don't think they have stuff like rotisserie chicken. But like in terms of concept, I'd say it's very similar. They have a family restaurant called Sonic. Yes. Sounds wicked. It's it's a gigantic chain. Okay. Yeah. Sounds Someone wicked. Someone let me know. Our single American listener, if you from Washington, you're still listening, welcome back. <laughs> Glad to have you. You can let us know. Okay. Our, in our okay. last episode, Martin was like, please, if you are outside of Ontario, Canada, or anywhere yeah. from, like across the world, please send us a email <laughs> telling us you're not a robot because he's convinced yeah. Convinced yeah, it's a bot, hundred percent. That they're all Some robots. random dude in Washington. Yeah, like call me out on my shit, man. Like, tell me, tell me that I'm wrong and that you're not a bot. Otherwise, you single person from Washington who has, unless it's someone that we know, like a friend of a friend. Wait, Dan, do you have any friends in Washington? Not that I know of. So no. Not that you like a friend that you don't know. <laughs> Look, man, I have friends from all over the world. I'm gonna say Washington is not one of them. Okay, fair enough. I don't. So whoever you are, you bot, either tell me I'm wrong or I'm going to think you're a bot. Fair enough. I mean, there's nothing stopping a bot from emailing you and giving you an automated message. It's true. See, you're right, but I don't think whoever like scripted the bot would take that, would spend that much effort to, to make it go and email me. And, I don't know. Not you're wrong. calling this bot out at this point. Right. Anything is on the table. All right, bot, <laughs> call Marna on his nonsense. Yeah. Prove him that you're, uh, you know, that you're, you're real, <laughs> alive, you know, that, and, and put in your message, I am not a bot. Yes. All right. Anyways, we went really off topic there for a second, but I, I still want to hear what your one word, like, pulse checks are. So, uh, Martin, what would your word of the day be, or phrase of the day to describe, you know, your overall sentiment of today? Tired, but excited. Excited because it's podcast day, and believe it or not, it's something I actually look forward to in my week, especially on a Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are usually my most busiest in terms of work. Yeah. So tired from from the work day, but excited to to get back talking about yeah random shiz with these folks here. Yeah, podcast day is always really fun. Like it's fun doing it, but the editing afterwards is uh, it's it's hard to find time to just making sure everything mm. sounds right afterwards. Yes. For sure. Uh, definitely. RKP, um, where you at? <laughs> I'm trying to look, I'll be honest, I'm trying to look at adjectives so that I can make myself feel better as, <laughs> you know, the guest of honor of like, wow, KP knows some exuberant words and stuff. Well, the, uh, exuberant. Don't worry, and, you're just any other person. Don't, don't, put, <laughs> don't put yourself on a pedestal now. <laughs> I want to. How dare you say that to me? Um, Who are you, Trixie but, Mattel? <laughs> <laughs> Even Google is telling me, and this is funny because of what we're going to talk about potentially. Google decided to give me the word turnt. Turnt? <laughs> That's a word I've not heard in a really long time. And it sometimes triggers me. But yeah, I'm I'm not turnt, but I am excited, I think. Uh <laughs> Earlier before when we were doing the whole podcast setup, I said I was tired. I think that's still true. But I'm excited just due to some work stuff that really 
came together at the end of the day and it really got me excited for what's going to be coming for the next couple of days so Mm -hmm. right now excited is probably a good word okay great that's good i'm glad to hear that well i think kp said it best in terms of what we're going to talk about today uh it's going to be triggering words trigger expressions things that really bug us as individuals that we hear in our everyday lives from personal to workplace things that just bugs the heck out of us so this is very ordinary joe talk but hey that's what we're all about we're all we're all here for the ordinary joe stuff so we're gonna talk about many different things from kind of cringy childhood trends to things that we find glamorized or just really annoying uh in well, in something in people that we've noticed or experienced recently should we start with some, should we start with the past that's so like a little bit like more lighthearted? Sure. So I'm like looking at our list here, and we have some really a lot of these are like food items. We have like push pops, pixie sticks, ring pops. Oh yeah. My parents never let me have like ring pops because like and like I didn't really because they thought I was like oh that's so feminine having a ring. But really? Uh, yeah, that's exactly that was the reason. That was the reason. I was like oh we don't want to give you that. <laughs> You know, I was, I was always cool, not because it was feminine, but just have, like having this giganto sugar uh, ring on your hand. It's kind of cool. I think it was also a time where Power Stone was on TV, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's kind of like... That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like that Power Stone guy. Because I think one guy had a ring, if I recall. I vaguely I don't remember. remember. Vaguely. Okay, so... Power Stone was on TV, but it was also a great like video game. If you've ever played it, it's a it's really fun. Uh, it was on the Dreamcast. Um, <laughs> the Dreamcast. I didn't own a Dreamcast. The Dreamcast is, was like really good at its time. Like given like all the other consoles that were like you know out side by side of it, and in comparison, the Dreamcast was like amazing. There were some really strong titles there. It's I don't know how. I like I think there's a whole like documentary or a video series discussing why it failed but i am i am i'm am disappointed to see that the dreamcast didn't take off more than it did because i think it had a lot of potential it had some really great titles for the platform mm. yeah but it, it was sad but power stone was definitely one of the highlights for me uh in my childhood playing the dreamcast and that was just at someone someone's someone's place not my own Oh, it's not even your dream, guys. No, but that's the thing, though. It's, it's like it almost felt like I was playing on an arcade machine, which was like kind of cool because then the Dreamcast itself would preview you. It would show you an image of the game you're playing, right? So it was like it'll pop up on the console itself, and then it'll play onto the screen. Onto the screen, so very cool. The clunk, the controls were clunky too, so it's kind of cool. I don't know, just the whole old rustic arcade feel. I loved arcades when I was a kid. It was like my go-to thing. I'm not sure if you two were like arcade junkies or not when you were kids. You know what? No, but not by my choice. It's more like my parents wouldn't give me money. <laughs> like, ew, you're going to waste money on these dumb games? No. <laughs> wow. There was never an arcade near me. The first time, actually, that I've been inside a legit arcade with, like, arcade machines, video games, all that stuff, was two years ago in San Francisco. Nashi, no, wow. San Jose. Yeah, San Whoa. Jose. How was Hold it? Hold on. Two years ago? Yep. And You've never that? been. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you. Describe. No, okay, Martin, you go first, so then, and then I'll ask my question about yeah. how it was after. Let's go, Martin. Haven't you been to Rec Room with us? Nope. Really? Nope. <laughs> so I because guess what would end up happening is we would all get dinner together. We, as in us three, and our bigger group of friends, 
And then because it's downtown and I have like a two hour commute to get back home, I would skip out on rec room because I wasn't sure like how long you guys were going to stay there for or whatnot. So it just felt easier to just be like, all right, see ya. And so I never went to rec room with either of you. Hmm. So rec room is an arcade kind of brand that has survived, but this arcade, like the rec room is pretty much an arcade, like lack of better words, it is arcade. Um, it is attached to a cinema brand, which is Cineplex for Canada. It's pretty much the equivalent to AMC in the States. Yeah, so yeah, I guess there are a few arcades around, but it's not as good as like classic fighting game arcades, you know? I think like more contemporary arcades geared towards, you know, they're not fighting games. Like the for mass majority, like racing games, gun games. Crane games, balls falling through machines, and do like you know, oh, essentially like Palladium. Yeah, Palladium games, exactly. But they're not your classic, stereotypical arcades where it's like you know a row of pure fighting games back like lined those up. Machines, those yeah, giant the big ass, box like, machines. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So the nerdy I, anime video game. Yeah, the geeky ones, arcade. right? Yeah, the geeky ones. Marvel versus Capcom Two was my ultimate favorite. I still love it a lot. I'm hoping for a remake at some point. I'm not sure if I would still be as, you know, enamored by it as I was before, but the soundtrack was great. Character selection was excellent. You had like over 50 characters and they weren't they weren't um, affected by, you know, the Marvel Universe, right? Because that's how characters selected for fighting games these days. It's all like, is there upcoming media or cinematic movies for these characters? And, that, and that's why we're going to include them, not because these characters would be interesting to the roster. Right, so it's all about marketing these days, which kind of sucks. I think my first experience with an arcade, from what I remember, mm-hmm. we were at a resort. It was a family vacation. So my family and uh, my cousin's family. My cousin was roughly our age. Uh, I think he's a little bit older, actually. Maybe like a year, something like that. And uh, we got lucky because my cousin was given like a small amount of money that we could play, uh, take to play at the arcade. And normally, like I said, my parents would never let me. They're like, oh, we're not wasting money on that crap. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, my cousin's doing it. So they're like, okay, fine. And, and so I got a little bit of money too. And we ran there. And I remember, I think there were two or three main games that we blew our money on. One was a Ninja Turtles game. Oh, I love that. It was like the side scroller. Yeah, just go back. I love it. that one. Anyways, go on. That was a, I don't even remember what it's called, but that was a good time. Yeah. There was that. There was another. There was a fighting game as well. I don't think it was. It might have been Marvel versus Capcom. I can't remember. Either that or it was one of the Street Fighters. And then after that was Metal Slug. Oh, Metal Slug. Metal Slug is a solid game. And we're it's like, great, oh, but it's such a money eater. Like even oh yeah, when you're playing the anthology on like your PlayStation's or computer. It still takes multiple lives to like get to the end. Oh yeah, like you have to be a god to not die <laughs> ever, or not yep. need to continue. It's so hard. But it is a hard. I game. love the mechanics. You know, you can ride tanks and like yeah, robots. And there's like secrets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. Like classic it's arcade games fun. are like they're so unforgiving, but they're so much fun. I love them. Anyways, I think we're we're deep diving a lot on arcade today, <laughs> which is not what we want to talk about. So, where are some other like? What are some childhood toys that you think would not fly today? Not fly? Oh. Or like that it was cringy or it was just kind of weird at the time? I think Heelys were pretty cringy. 
I okay, hold on. I I love the idea of Achilles. Like, I always want the Achilles. I love the idea of just sliding from one side of the room to another. It's it sounded awesome. I think in theory, it sounds pretty cool. And I'm pretty sure I've seen multiple shows or TV shows where you see these characters, they just kind of run and then they somehow have this magical ability or technology that lets them glide on surfaces, like there's there's skating or whatever. And that's all fine and cool. But when you listen to this, the clacking sound of one of your classmates with Heelys, <laughs> just clack, 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 wherever they walk, or when they're trying to wheel down like a hallway to be cool, and they're yelling, get out of the way, everybody get out of the way. Like we all have to like separate for this one this, this one dude who, who's trying to show off and be cool with his Heelys. I'm like, no. I'm like, yeah, get over yourself, buddy. I... You don't own this hallway. <laughs> I owned a pair of Heelys. Oh, oh did did you? you? Oh, yeah. shit. I owned a pair of Heelys. These were bootleg ones, so I'm not entirely <laughs> sure if the, like, original Heelys were supposed to, like, pop out. I'm not 100% sure. This was a long time ago. Mine did, though. So in order to actually use them, they would fit inside of the sole of the shoe, so the shoe was also raised a little bit so that your feet can obviously still adjust to the, to the shoe. Um, and if you wanted to take the skates out, you would have to, like, pull on them outwards and then they'd click and so they basically turned into roller plates now being the child that i was and how i wanted them very badly these shoes did not fit me oh at all but because heelys were popular i wanted them regardless yeah i wore them once (laughs) and then never again i think i tried popping and doing all the cool stuff of like oh yeah running and then popping out the wheels and like then i was like oh wait i have to physically pop them out before i could start using them and then i did that and i realized i don't know how to skate or rollerblade and so i fell many times oh Um, that was not fun i bought them and the (laughs) the excitement literally dropped from me leaving the store trying them on um trying like one stint at the mall and then be like i'm done that's all i wanted to do you can return these now but obviously my parents were like no we're not returning these you got new shoes you're gonna wear them forever but they hurt like a bitch because i (laughs) could not wear them because they were i think two sizes smaller than my foot size at the time oh god yeah i think that's the whole thing with anything right anything when you were a childhood it's like i like i see that i want it yep. i'll like you know i'll play with it i'll i'll use it etc yep. and as soon as you get it you don't want it anymore it's like oh yeah now that i have it it's always about the chase it's more about the chase than the actual product yep yep for sure definitely so i'm just like besides the ring pop business we also have like pixie sticks which is literally a tube of sugar I never understood why that was a thing, but like you know, people are like, "Oh yeah, That's good." So you're literally popping like a handful yeah, of sugar players. into your mouth. Yeah, no, but but well, a it's on a stick, and it's like powdered sugar, flavored sugar on a stick. This is probably so bad for the environment. It's just like I plastic. Mean, oh yeah, it's no but different it's, than regular it's, candy. It's the novelty of it. Like there's not that many candies where you would eat it in that kind of way. It's true. It, it was unique, and there's the fun factor, right? It was, it, was a, it was fun to eat. Just like how ring pop, you could put it on your finger, but that got old quickly and it got nasty as your drool kind of drooled up. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's what my parents didn't like, right? They didn't let me get it because after the first time, our hands were all grubby and sticky with like the melted drool slash candy all over our hands, and we would touch stuff on the walls or whatever. My mom would flip 
She's like, what the fuck was sticky, nasty shit on our couch? And we never, never again. So the only time we got to eat it, we had to be outside. I don't know if this was cringy, but I it was a big part of my childhood, and I'm curious if others have this too. Sure. I we would go to like the convenience store, and this is because a friend of mine at the time, his family would go to the convenience store to buy these uh, bubble gums. But bubble gum back then came with like kid-friendly tattoos oh and i went off on them like i saw my friend do it once and he had like this gigantic bag and so we kind of literally we had 50 pieces of bubble gum in our mouth just because we wanted the tattoos on our arms and it was stuff like i remember having like x-men and like wolverine specifically and a tattoo for storm and spider-man and all that stuff I don't think that's ever making a comeback, but I don't know why they were great. I love them. <laughs> like when I worked at summer camps, that was like one of the thrills with the kids. You just yeah. eat bubble gum with them, and you just like you take a cup of water. It's like all right, slapping tattoos yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's a good time. I love that. Fun times. All right, so let's let's bring our conversation to more adult life now. To our adult trigger words. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> Okay, uh, who wants to start us off today? Okay, I, I guess I can go first. So this is kind of cringy, particularly for me because of my field of work. But hearing companies talk about being customer-centric or client-centric, but when you actually look into their practices, they don't give two shits about the customer. It's become more of a buzzword that I think a lot of companies want to preach about and pretend oh yeah we're so we're so client-centric and customer-centric we care about you but like what kind of initiatives client-centric or customer-centric initiatives do you actually have how closely or carefully do you uh, follow your your either design team or your cx team or whatever team right Mm. how much do you involve them in the uh, decision-making process I think those are the real questions that a company should ask. So in theory, I think being customer centric and client centric is an amazing thing. And I would hope that all companies, regardless of whatever industry, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. But in practice, it's it's become an annoying buzzword mm. um, until you can actually show me that you actually do care. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it depends. I think for me, every company if you have a user base or if you are developing or building something that's going to have some sort of user base you will always be client-centric no matter what because at the end of the day we now live in a world where every website needs to be up 99.999 percent of the time and in order to do business in today's world your website needs to be available you can't have any bugs everything needs to work and if something doesn't work your customers complain and they need to and it needs to be fixed otherwise you are losing money and revenue i think from that aspect every company is technically client facing or customer centric because they have to otherwise mm. you're not getting money i think to some degree i i agree martin with what you said that buzzword definitely gets used of like, oh, we should be customer centric, prioritize this over that, prioritize the customer's needs and wants over what the company needs to do. I think I also see this myself from various companies in the world of just, they say that, but then when it comes to products that they release or other things in general, it's just like, 
I didn't say I wanted that, or the vast majority of people will say, we didn't want that. Where did, what data point gave you the idea that this was important for, for the customer? And from what I've come to realize, it's all about ROI. It's all about the return on investment. If something is quick and easy and it's going to gain, I'll be honest, if it gains an enterprise customer that's going to pay me a million dollars versus five companies that's probably going to pay me like maybe 10K per year, mm. it's much easier to do this thing that may be shitty for other users or the user base in general, but I at least I'm getting a million dollars out of this. And that is technically still client centric, but you are focusing on one aspect of a client than necessarily your whole user base. And I think uh, you can probably tell me right or wrong, but I get, I also get the impression that when it comes to user experience, um, whether it's the website looking pretty or it's usable, extensible, uh, it's accessible, for example, a lot of the ROI on that is very small because it's catering to a very niche or minute subset of people that isn't going to make the company money. It will in the long run. These are more like long-term investments, but that's my sense of how companies work. It's always on return on investment. Is it big enough? Is the money income going to be steady enough for us to make this change? If it's not, then it's going to get deprioritized. So, so that's the thing. I think, I think what you're describing is the baseline, which I don't call client centric at all. Uh, I don't call it customer centric okay. at all. It's the baseline, the bare minimum that you should meet. Being client-centric or customer-centric is beyond that. Just because your product is customer-facing does not make you customer-centric, mm-hmm. right? You can release a mediocre product with bugs and just say that, you know what, this is a lower priority because of ROI. So unfortunately, the thing with customer-centricity or UX uh, user experience is that it doesn't have a huge ROI that's very explicit or immediate. However, it, it does have one. It is just less explicit. It's implicit. It's the, the way your customers feel about your brand and think about your, your application or your product as a whole, which does affect your brand, which leads to brand loyalty and a number of other things. Yep. Uh, sure. Is it easy to measure? No, no, it's not. Is it very obvious and in your face compared to releasing a new product that, like you said, can get, I don't know, however much back in terms of investment? No, it's not as obvious in some regard. In other regards, there's new innovations that stem from, the stem does stem from being uh, customer centric or from the actual, something that benefits the customer. And these innovations can evolve into products which then have an ROI. But from that lens, customer centricity needs to be part of the decision-making process of how to produce such a product, mm. which I think it's a rarity nowadays. I think a lot is is based on whatever I can do to immediately get get that inter- huge return on investment or what they think they can. So rather than what's beneficial mm-hmm. to your general base, customer mm-hmm. base. So I think I think what we're trying to say here is like there's a lot of lip service I think is I think we're trying to yes. get at why it's kind of annoying in a sense because there's always lip service to our stakeholders, right? Whoever we're serving from our, from our workplace, we, we're, we're serving somebody at the end of the day. There's always a customer client. And at the end of the day, every business is going to want to make sure that we are client-centric or in a way we're trying to make, make us look good in the eyes of our stakeholders, whoever that is, whoever our clients are. 
And for us who are in our own individual industries, where it's like, you say you're client-centric, but the infrastructure in place did not necessarily reflect that. And I think that's like really, really annoying, right? When it's like the opposite, right? So there's always technicalities. All right, so we're going to launch from here onto our qualms with, with society. One of the things that I'm really annoyed about when we talk to people in conversation is people say, when people say, I'm just confused. And <laughs> Martin's going to have a, Martin's going to go to town on this. <laughs> why, Martin? Why are you so confused? You know what? It, it did kind of bother me, like how everyone would just, and just, I'm just looking back now, even, I'm going to say started even maybe late high school, like maybe t- grade 12 high school for me. Yeah where I just started hearing it used very, very frequently. Yeah. I couldn't put my finger on why it bothered me. But yeah, when, when people were upset, they would say they're confused. Yes. When people are actually confused, they would yeah. also say they're confused. When they're mad, they would say it's confused. When something good but surprising happens, they're still confused. <laughs> um, it's, it's a multifaceted word, Martin. But is that wrong, though? Because I can be happy, like, oh... This, for example, from a workplace environment, uh, as a software developer, I am riddled with this all the time, where I will develop something, and there's this very big meme within the developer industry of whatever you code never works the first time. So when it does work the first time, people are ecstatic that it worked, but at the same time, they're like, why did it work? Because it shouldn't work? What's happening? And so like, to me, what you just said, it's like, well... I feel like that's a valid response. This works, but I'm confused. I don't know why it works. So I'm I th- so happy about it. I think that's fine. But I think what's what's what is like annoying, or at least it just bothersome, is when you when you're just angry, disappointed at something, but you're saying I'm confused, right? It's like it just seems really like, although if confused might have been appropriate, but let's say for example playing a game, right? Your teammate runs in and dies. For some reason, and our friend is notorious for this, but we know he never listens to podcasts. It's completely okay. <laughs> We're talking about him publicly behind his back, but he's never. He refuses out. to come on the podcast because he doesn't want to be shamed. <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't like to listen to us anyways. It's fine. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> he's like, "Yo, this guy just went in. He died." Like, why do you go in? I'm just so confused. I'm just mind-blowingly confused, right? So he's just upset and frustrated. He doesn't necessarily want answers, right? He doesn't, like, but he just says, I'm confused for sake of it. I think that's the most annoying part, especially when people ask, why did that person do that? I think the most annoying part is they don't actually want an answer, right? It's like, oh my god, why did, why... Why do you just die? Why why don't you stick with a team? Like you know, why do you do that? The fact is is that if you if you answer that question, more often than not, you're not gonna get an, you're not he's not, they're not gonna get it. Oh okay, they're gonna they're gonna argue with you just to appease themselves a little bit, right? Just to let like this vent out frustration. So it's not so much they're actually confused, they're just frustrated, but that's their only way of venting without actually venting, just saying they're confused. And I think for me, that really bothers me because it's like, you're not really being honest here. You're just going, jumping around the corner, jumping, like you're whacking the bush. Just if you're angry, just say you're angry as opposed to saying you're confused. 
right? Because if you're confused and someone tries to, you know, clarify things for you, you don't actually want the answer, right? So I think that's the annoying part for me. I think it's the way people use it. They're using it as an umbrella term. Yes. Describe every emotion under the sun. Yes. And thus it becomes overused to the point where I hear it so, so often that it gets annoying. Not necessarily because that they're feeling those emotions. Like if you're honestly feeling those emotions, that's fine. Like that doesn't bother me. But it's it's their scapegoat term whenever there's no other uh, feeling we can use to describe or no other emotion. There's like, I'm confused. It's like, I don't know what I'm feeling, so I'm confused. So I'm confused right now. <laughs> but that's more because I think to me, and maybe I'm holding on to the examples too much, Sure. but it does feel like to the example that was just given, this person asked a question and then said, I'm confused. To me, that feels very much warranted not yeah like someone for anyone who didn't really clue on it into this this we are talking about a person who plays a league of legends basically you can say the game yeah (laughs) which is i don't know i don't remember what moba stands for but it's a moba game and so the whole premise is he's our, our friend is playing with someone else some random user on the internet some random player and this player did something that our friend i guess did not want him to do but at the same time the reaction to that is like i'm confused what information led you to make that decision of like running into the enemy's camp and this dying without any backup i feel like that's an honest question to ask but i think it gets muddled in with you know, other emotional things that we see or visibly hear from our friend as well, because we do hear disgruntledness, we do hear anger. But to me, it still feels like that question is still valid. I don't see it as like that uh, umbrella term at all, but I think it's because it's clouded with other emotions that as an individual, it can just be interpreted as though like, oh, you are angry why not just say you're angry yeah let's let's change the context a little bit let me give you another example so let's say kp i made a remark in a conversation between us the other day right for example you didn't necessarily like what i said right you in fact got really offended by what i said to you or said to somebody for example that's okay like you can be upset what i said i can't please anybody but instead of saying you know i don't like what you said dan you say, Dan, I'm confused about what you said. So as a way of kind of softening a little bit. So it's become a multi-use kind of word, right? So, so it's With not that as that example. I understand it. So it's not as it's not as like it's it's like a softer tone as opposed to I really don't like what you said. That really ticked me off, or I'm really sad about that. But mm-hmm. I'd rather just say I'm confused, and to me that doesn't translate very well. I, I understand this now, uh, and I think partly to like to further the conversation. I guess it's weird that that term gets even gets used. I don't know. It feels very weird again in this example. Uh, sure. If of just like I, I would never use confused in that context, and I guess people are is what both of you are trying to get at, which is yeah. very weird and mind-boggling to me. But yeah. It just becomes such a multifaceted word that for it's any context. Right. So when you're angry, when you're upset, sad, happy, 
you can just be confused in all those contexts. And by no means you're allowed to be like, you're allowed to be like, you know, be, uh, what's that word called? Not delusional. What's the word? It starts with O. You're allowed to be disoriented, right? By something, right? You're more than welcome to be. But sometimes I feel like the word is not, like when you use it, you're not really trying to say what you're trying to say, right? I'm angry at you, but I'd rather say I'm confused with you as a way of shielding your emotions. So if you have something to say, just say it because it's kind of annoying when I have to kind of, I think part of why it annoys me is that I have to kind of guess at what you're trying to get at. And it just doesn't feel like you're completely honest with me when you're using things like, I'm confused. If you're truly confused, let's sit down and talk about it. But it just seems like that's not what you're trying to say. You're trying to say B instead of A, but you're using A to shield B. I don't know if that makes my, sense. My interpretation, looking at it like from front face value, if someone was to come to me in that state of, I'm sad, I'm confused, why am I sad, stuff like that, to me, or actually, maybe I should use the angry example. Sure. To me, I wonder if part of that is more so this person, I agree that they're not stating what they probably really feel. Like, if you were to call me out on something and then sure. I said, Dan, I'm confused. What the fuck, man? Yeah. I probably should say, Dan, I'm angry rather than I'm confused. Sure. But I do wonder, because let's just say this, humans are weird emotions are weird people can be very pathetic in the sense that like we aren't really open with one one another and it's hard sure it's it's very exhausting too um and so i and i think using people who are strong in terms of like leadership communication all that stuff they're strong because they're able to just say what they want to say like mm-hmm. they'll just say i'm angry to get the conversation forward and to get that directive of i'm angry this is what we're talking about my anger mm-hmm. rather than like the confusion part mm-hmm. i think people who aren't used to being confronted or confronting people it to me my first gut reaction right now is i wonder if these people are trying to be empathetic they are still angry or sad or whatever they're feeling but they're trying to be empathetic and trying to understand the other person's viewpoint. Because if I'm confused, then my first thinking is, how do I make myself unconfused? Which is talking to the person who's making me confused in hopes they give me more information as to why they did something or how it affects me. And Mm -hmm. maybe that gives them, I don't know, maybe that'll make them not angry or not sad or something. Mm -hmm. I think that's another word that I think is kind of like, no, it's kind of iffy, you know, being empathetic. It's on paper, it makes sense. It's easy to be empathetic with another, right? Just try to take in what the other person is trying to, you know, what they're thinking. We're all human. Yeah, try to understand them better. But more often than not, you know, we as humans do try to, you know, push our beliefs on one another, right? By expressing them and trying to make changes those thoughts, right? And that's not necessarily being empathetic. So empathy, <laughs> empathy is a, it's a, it's a hard emotion to understand. And as my great school teacher said it best, it's a easy emotion to understand, but hard to execute just because we're not mind readers. It's hard to understand one another really easily, but you know, it's, I remember calling people out on it. You know, I don't think you're like, I know I see, I see what you're trying to do, but sometimes I feel like you're not that empathetic to one, to another person. And I think that is a tough pill to swallow because we would always want to, you know, write our story as someone who is good, who is, 
Absolutely. You know, we always want to paint ourselves in the best light. I don't blame anyone for wanting to paint themselves in the best light. That's what we all do, right? But when someone calls you out on a character trait that is perhaps associated with, say, a not-so-good light, almost villainous, right? Then it turns the world upside down, right? That can be an incredibly hard pill to swallow. But, you know, as humans, we are, like, we're flawed individuals. And sometimes we do make others others feel... a certain way and that does stem from lack of empathy right i'm sure some things i say all the time would bother people right 100 i'm sure i've said things about martin that he would be not so comfy with all the time actually wow <laughs> actually i take that back everyone except martin no martin. it's too late it's out. it's out on the interwebs you guys heard it can't take it martin's back. a doo-doo head <laughs> Yeah, I, I think expressing empathy. So here's the thing, right? I think what people should strive for is not necessarily to be empathetic. I think empathetic is the either byproduct or the the result of you being a good communicator. I think communication is really the focus uh, of what people should be. Because I think from good communication, you can achieve empathy, even without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you try to focus on, I'm going to be empathetic, I don't think that comes off as genuine anymore because you're just trying to, it's almost as if you're trying to force something rather than going through the process of trying to achieve it. Mm. Right. I disagree, but I also think what you said about being empathetic is basically you're trying to be a good communicator. I never thought about it like that, but when you said it, my mind started going through some of the things that I thought were empathetic and it really did come down to like the more communicative you are the more forward you are with information the more easier it is for someone else to a not only understand what you where you're coming from and b also provide you with some help in making stuff better because to what dan said at the end of the day every human being here wants to unless you're with mega <laughs> everyone wants to make Keep everyone else happy <laughs> hey i'm okay with calling it that racism is racism okay, right don't, don't yeah racism. yeah racism, racism is a Definitely. huge thing right now right and that does like all this like asian hate black lives matter indigenous folks etc all the minority groups like experiencing hate right now at the end of the day stems from empathy right or the uh, lack thereof a lack thereof rather right it's like they don't care about other races. And that's why we have these issues is that we aren't empathetic to each other. Right. So as much as we, we might want to label ourselves as empathetic, you know, if someone calls you out for not being empathetic, don't take it as a personal attack on yourself. Right. Maybe, maybe you should, but take it with at least like, even <laughs> maybe take you should. it, <laughs> maybe you should. you should, you should, you take, should, you should. Right. But it, like, it is. take it, it is. take it with a grain of salt. Right. It's not a hundred percent, Simply attack on you, but take it as an opportunity to reflect on yourself. Yes. When people call me out on shit, do I get upset? Of course I do, 100%. But I also want to, you know, jump back and say, you know, why did they say that about me? What am I doing that's making you feel like a complete shit? Or are you making me feel less than, right? So that I can work on it and, you know, grow as a person. So personally, in spellboarding, I wouldn't describe it as necessarily a personal attack but sure. rather a critique on your personality or it's, your, it's criticism your character or you know, oh, of your character and exactly i think that's such a hard pill to swallow though right in terms of trying yeah. to be empathetic because you've spent your life building this like fantasy character yourselves 
I mean, not fantasy, but it's real. But like you, you spent years building yourself up, and only have someone you know take a jab at it. It's like, oh my goodness, like what? Like I, I can't deal with this right now. You're literally taking my taking a brick out of my fortress, right? Um, it's hard. It's so hard. But it's one of those words where you know empathy, best practices, etc. You know, everyone tries to embrace them, but they don't. It's not necessarily the case, right? You can say you have all these things, but it's more than just putting that label on yourself and just saying you are for that dopamine rush and calling it a day, right? You have to embrace it in everything that you do. Yeah. I would it's... go ahead. I would rather you use it when you can use it meaningfully instead of just using it as some like like it's almost like a bandwagon. Yeah. Because you hear it thrown around so often. Yeah. I think that's my personal gripe with it. I think every human being should strive to be empathetic. Every single human being. Because yeah. I think it's a wonderful trait. Yeah. That said, don't just start throwing it around when you're not there yet. Yeah. Like just because and you do Yeah, go ahead. Just yeah, it's it's not it's like as as both uh you, Dan, and KP mentioned, yeah. it's not easy. And so I'm not blaming anyone if they're struggling to be empathetic. Uh I don't blame you at all. It's it's definitely hard. I would say I'm not the most empathetic person. Like I'm yeah. straight up I'm not. But I, I, mean, I know. Like, shut up, <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> Sorry, but, go ahead. But I, I do try. You know, when I can, I do try to reflect and say, okay, how are you feeling about this, and how can I work on myself? And part of it is, in order to build empathy with your friends and your colleagues, number one thing you have to do is talk to them and t- and speak about them. Just, so you gotta, you gotta be down to chat with these people. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, he did it he did it he Shame, tied it shameless all plug there you go <laughs> right uh, that, I think that's the number one step to build empathy with each other talk to each other it's 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 just that simple um, KP did you have something to add from earlier I think Martin interrupted you rudely and empathetically no uh, I kind of want to <laughs> It's funny. I think I agree with everything that's being said, but I do want to bring a counter argument. Maybe not so much counter, but maybe a perspective of I want to provide y'all with an example of how empathy has worked for me and how it works for actually in a work setting, which I think is the biggest thing. I agree with everything that's being said. I think the biggest reason why a lot of these words are triggering or they're losing face value because they're using they're being used in such lofty ways is because they're being used in a really broad and wide setting. So let's take this whole COVID scenario, for example, with uh, putting on masks. I think putting on masks is a whole is a testament of empathy because not only are you protecting yourself but you need to be empathetic towards others to protect them and that's mm-hmm. basically what your mask is doing social distancing all that stuff i think it's a real testament to humans ability to be empathetic to one another and come together and try to solve this big crisis that's basically happening it's really hard to do that in a really big setting mm-hmm. because Amongst the three of us, for example, if you were to tell us to put masks on, Mm -hmm. we would do it 100%. Mm -hmm. Not only because we're empathetic with each other and not only because we're friends, but because it's a really limited amount of people and we could be like, oh, Martin, 
this is not true but for example maybe martin has asthma so it's kind of just like cool i need to put on a mask because if he was to get asthma. covid wow but, surprise Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> going back to my comment like both dan and i would understand that we need to put our masks on because otherwise uh martin is compromised and if he is he'll probably die because covid is really stupid that way i'm putting Either on masks but not for martin <laughs> you're not, not proving my point here <laughs> uh, but when it comes to for example hopefully everyone knows we live in ontario but when we hear stuff from the government about being empathetic putting on masks or just like stay at home do it for other people it's really hard to do that and it feels lofty because there's just such a bigger pool of people that you are judging empathy on mm -hmm. and you don't know a hundred thousand people you probably only know maybe 100 mm -hmm. and it's hard in that case to build that empathy and it really sucks because you don't hear for example i feel like if we were in new zealand right now and the government was to say be empathetic i think everyone would rally behind that because new zealand is freaking amazing with their COVID situation right now mm -hmm. and it's it's build that trust with even random strangers of like people are working together to make this happen so i think a lot of these trigger words really it has to do with the amount of people you're speaking it towards and the reason why i'm doing this as a preamble is because I've seen empathy really work within my team at my workplace. And I'm not going to name my company's name because this is not to say like, oh, my company's great or everything. It does have its flaws and there's stuff that we need to work on. But my company, my team in particular is really empathetic. Uh, I go on call. And for people who don't understand or know what on call is in software development, it basically means that if something in my company like the product that my team is responsible for if it breaks in the middle of the night and this could be any time three o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning i will get basically paged i will get a text message or a push notification or a phone call that says something is broken and i need to go fix it and there is so much empathy built into this because there's only five of us right now who are on call in the team and if someone gets woken up at three o'clock, there's this whole rally around making sure that other people are going to take an override for me so that I can sleep through the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. I think because it's small and because other people feel the same pain, you can build empathy really strongly that way. And I've seen that success. Uh, any single time someone gets into like this really nasty incident or they get paged at three o'clock in the morning or they feel like they're sick and they can't talk. I think it does depend on like one person to kind of build that establishment or build that community and trust system in your team. But I've seen that happen in most of the teams that I've worked on and mm -hmm. it's possible. And I think it really has to do with the amount of people that you're working with. And it has to be small. Hmm. So, like, let's take in our perspective on that, because that's interesting. What if, let's take a, take a, let's take a perspective of someone who's, uh, you know, single, doesn't have kids versus, you know, people who are working who do have kids, right? Generally speaking, I think this is generally the case, is that if you're a single person who's not, you know, tied down with kids, you're almost expected by society to take on more of the workload, right? Without much benefit, right? And it's a, it's a consistent expectancy of you, 
right? And the idea is that you are expected to be empathetic, right? Towards people who do have family and kids. Whereas, but that takes a toll on you as a person, right? Even though you, just because you chose not to have children, perhaps by choice or whatever circumstances, you don't have kids, you don't have family to care of, but they're, but you're still expected to take on extra because of that. So I think empathy, empathy is, is great in your scenario where, you know, team looks out for each other, but in society, it almost seems like you're shafted sometimes if you don't demonstrate this empathy towards others, but uh, people don't take into consideration your well-being of why you perhaps chose to be a like, you know a solo person or individual. What do you think, Martin? So, so I'm I'm just gonna use your example right there, sure, because I think that's a good example for my point that I'm about to make, which is let's take a step back for a second and, I mean, just quickly go over what empathy is, sure, because and that's so empathy. A lot of people would describe it as trying to see things from another person's perspective or like. Uh, Take a step in their shoes, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a phrase or a definition that gets thrown around a lot. Sure. So using your example of a single person yeah, trying to be empathetic to the parent who has maybe a household they need to maintain and two or however many kids, even one kid. Right. That's not necessarily being empathetic. That's I would call that just being kind and doing someone a favor. You know, but can you really be empathetic towards that person? You can try to some degree, mm-hmm. but unless you really, but it's a vol. Let's say it's a vol- Let's let's it's a voluntary thing. You yeah. Know? So can you yeah. take over this person because you know think of their children, family? Sure. So you can try to be understanding to their circumstances. Sure. Which is great. I don't know if that's. I wouldn't use the word empathetic in that scenario. Guilt tripping. <laughs> uh, I think. What the word has come to is is like a substitute for the word good. Just be good. Like Caring. some generic positive term. Yeah. I think it's taken out of uh, context in many situations. And that's also to KP's point, why it's used so broadly. Like when you're saying empathy to the masses, it's like just be be better to each other. Like, okay, be better. Um, it sounds positive. All right. What does that actually mean though? What does that actually entail? Because... As much as someone tries to be empathetic from a single person to a person who is married and has kids, I don't think you're going to get there anytime soon unless you've actually lived it maybe with someone, right? Mm-hmm. You really need to step into their lives to understand their their problems, their issues. They have to take the kids to school. They have to worry about a babysitter or whatever. Like, you know, all these different things. You can hear people talk about it and you can listen to their 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 complaints, but you're not really ever going to understand. You're not. Like, let's be honest, until it happens to you, mm. you can only understand to a certain point. So while I'm I'm not trying to discourage people from being empathetic, I think the goal here isn't to fully understand. It's just to do a kind deed for someone else who, who's in a tough spot and needs help. Mm. Th- that's how I see it. You're, you're, they're not, the goal isn't for that person to try to sit down and have a meaningful life-to-life, heart-to-heart conversation to try to understand them, right? Mm. That's not the goal here. The goal, right. at least in that in that example that Dan uh, described, mm-hmm. is just to, to help each other out, you know, do each other a favor. If I do you a favor, does that mean I'm trying to be empathetic towards you? Not necessarily. I don't know if empathy is involved here, but I'm, I'm just trying to yeah. do a good deed or a nice deed. Mm. I don't know if it's like a favor per se, but it's like, it'd be, like I, it hasn't really happened to me too much, thankfully. But it's become a like it's an ongoing expectation of a person. Right. So as much as you could be doing a favor as a one-off, like in KP scenario, for example, 
like if it's an ongoing thing where as a single individual you are taking a larger workload and same pay same benefits everything the only difference is that you have you don't have a kid and the other person does but you're still expected to take on the same workload and if you don't take on that workload and say no to the person then you'd be accused of being unempathetic because you're unable yeah. to recognize uh, the struggles of someone else even though it's not necessarily your choice to have a child but as people say it takes a village so maybe there's some merit to that no I think if I agree with Martin now that I really think about it. It is, if you think about it, empathetic probably is more of a blanket term these days yeah. based on how it was described by you, Martin. But I think for me, I, I'm willing to do a good deed for someone. Again, going with your example, Dan, of like, if I have a coworker that has kids, I've done this myself. I've told my coworkers who are older than me of just like, take the day off, you don't feel well, or like take the day your kid really needs you. I'm happy to like take mm-hmm. an override for all call or something like that, whatever. Um, but there is an expectation, or at least I've had the privilege of being able to work with people who respected that and then also brought it the other way around of like, okay, PSC, you're struggling, you go home and I will f- figure this out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, there probably is some bias from you, Dan, because of your background. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this because of that. I think there's a lot of, I'm not saying all boomers are like this, but there is a bit of boomer mentality there probably mm-hmm. of the older you are, the more senior you are, the more tenure you have at a company. There's definitely some built-in bias there of I've been here a long time. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing as a young person. You have your life ahead of you, blah, 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 blah. And I don't, and I think that's, that's really selfish of mm-hmm. those individuals. And if if I was put in that position if I was helping someone, but then they didn't come back to help me in the future, that's just more information for me that I don't want to work with this person anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it does have to be two-way, especially in a workplace. Workplace is that weird middle ground where you have to bring your best self at all times. And it can be exhausting, but it's a workplace. You're mm-hmm. there to make sure everyone works together efficiently so that the business is thriving and then everyone thrives when a business is thriving. Mm. Usually there are definitely cases where people are thriving and we see that all the time with like, let's just look at Google. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> Google is a multi-billion trillion dollar company, but like it's people are angry. It's internal employees probably aren't happy all the time either, but it's, it's, it's still thriving. But regardless, yeah, I feel like there's probably some boomer mentality, or at least that's the expectation I get. And, for me, maybe empathy isn't the word here, but if there is, if I'm giving good into the world, I do expect some good back because someone else should be giving good into the world mm-hmm. too. It's not just like a mass of like everyone gives in good and it's just in there. It is a give and take, and good needs to be given and taken. Yeah. It de- but definitely sometimes it's given more and taken. Like it's taken more, given less. And I think that's I think that's perfectly fine. You know, like. If I'm being empathetic to you because I understand that you have kids and everything, that I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit, you know, as long as, long as somewhere down the line, there's a some form of return, it doesn't have to be 50-50, yep. right? Yep. That's not yep. what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be in friendships either. It shouldn't be 50-50 all the time. Yep. In fact, for it to be 50-50 all the time is practically impossible to measure in the first place. Yep. Right. But I think, it, as with any relationship, there should be a give and take. Right. Yeah. That helps develop, like, you know, understanding each other a lot better and building a Absolutely. better rapport with each other. Right. 
But I think if we have a one-sided relationship where it's always, say, I or the other person taking the workload every single time, there's no return down the road or in sight, I think that starts developing the resentment in the workplace, or not workplace, I say, but just in relationships in general, that could create a sour taste in people's mouths. Just one final point on that. Sure. I would f- feel like that if there was that coworker, sure. you could argue they weren't being empathetic, right? Right. And because they're not trying to look into your situations, like, hey, um, sure. you know, you've given up many opportunities to to help this person out by taking on that extra workload. Mm-hmm. But they're not really listening or, or or seeing things from your point of view. So I would actually argue maybe they're not, they're the ones not being empathetic either. Right. Uh, and rather, all they're actually asking for is sympathy. Right. Sure. Sympathy sure. is just when you, I want you to feel for me, and that's it. There's no understanding there. Right. Not that sympathy is the bad thing, but that that sounds like what he's asking for. Sympathize mm-hmm. with my situation, and just keep taking on that workload for me. Yeah. So that's, is, a, that's an interesting perspective, right? Is that when we talk about empathy and building empathy, it's always something that comes within you and like kind of solely you, right? When we think about, that's how we kind of think about it. At least that, that's how it, it seems like it's discussed often. Whereas I think you're right. It does take, it takes two to play that game, right? To build each other and to understand each other. And I don't think that's talked about enough where I think to build, build stronger empathy, it's, important to have conversations and you know or just interactions to better understand each other as opposed to just a one-sided conversation right um you can try you can try however you want from your end to try to understand the other person but i think without those interactions to go between and both sides working together build this bridge together it's never going to connect so i think that's a really interesting point let's pivot to our last point for today and one thing that triggers me a lot of times is when people suck at apologizing. So what does that look like to you, Dan? That's what a, is, yeah. if someone sucks at apologizing, what does that look like? Tell our audience. Give us, <laughs> give us the tea. The hot tea. Exactly, hot tea. <laughs> so Martin, let's see, Martin is, uh, I said, Martin, your face is offensive. <laughs> What part of that was an apology? That's just I mean, offending me. I mean, it is. But... There was no apology in that. Let's just take your face. And ladies and gentlemen, your hosts have now died. So Martin says to me, your face is offensive. And I said, Martin, that's a, that's a pretty crappy thing to say. By the way, verbatim, that's what Martin said to me last week, so, you know. Never happened. Well, anyway, so Martin said, your face offends me. And I said, Martin, yo, that's kind of a crappy thing to say. And Martin turns around and says, you know what? I'm sorry you feel that way. That, to me, (laughs) would be a crappy apology. Okay, why is it crappy? Because, so when someone says, I'm sorry you feel that way, right, there takes, that person saying it takes no responsibility for the actions, all the responsibility is pushed onto the other party, right? I'm not saying sorry that I said that to you. I made you feel that way. Rather, Martin, I'm just sorry that you as an individual felt a certain way about what I said about you or the other way around. So I think that's what bothers me. And that that's a, that's a really crappy way of apologizing because I think as a person on the receiving end of that, there's no 
it doesn't feel like there's any uh, remorse from the person saying the apology because that's not an apology, right? What I think would be a better apology is look, Martin, or if Martin would say to me, Dan, because <laughs> we know it in reality, the situations are reversed. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Martin absolutely would say that to me. So Martin was, I would refer Martin to say, yo, Martin or Dan, you know, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. That's not my intention, bro. I messed up. I'm sorry. And that's kind of like what I would expect as a proper apology, as opposed to what Martin's dying back there. So, sidebar topic. Sure. How many people has have actually apologized to you in that way? A few, actually. A few. Oh, like really? not in those not in those words, but like, you know, it's like that way of apologizing. You taking a more personal stance on it, like using I, a time or two. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. It's not that long. <laughs> over exaggerated dramatic apology but yeah i have and that's probably my preferred way of apologizing because i think mm. and that's how i try to apologize to people too if i made them feel a certain way right because I, it's not that it's not your fault you felt a certain ways my actions that made you feel this way so i need to apologize for how i acted that made you feel this way and take responsibility and take ownership for that and to just say i'm sorry you feel that way that's not a true apology because there's no remorse, there's no um, demonstration that you're going to try to work on things from your end. I really like your point about using the word I versus you. Yeah. And just as you put in, I kind of takes the some level of the responsibility onto yourself. It's an action that I or that person did, which caused the the problem or the conflict or the issue. And so they're, t- they're acknowledging ownership of that. Yeah. That they have part, at least part of the responsibility. So I really like that. I think for me, the other part is of a bad apology or another example of a bad apology is when they say, oh, I'm sorry, but, and then they have to go and justify why yes. they, yes. That, why they said yeah. or why they did that, that negative thing or whatever it was. Look, I'm sorry about this way, like, but you, this, you, 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 you did that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Are, are you really sorry? Yeah. Um, I get that. I, I've heard that a number of times before too. Right. I think that's part of like their way of venting though. You know what I mean? Like they're probably like they they are trying to apologize, but their rage, their pent up anger or passion or some people as someone would call it, spills over. Right. And it comes out, right, as a way of them to just say their peace. And but it doesn't come off as a genuine apology, right? It doesn't resolve issues. In fact, it just probably exacerbates an issue. Yeah. I think part of that is also it comes from like a place of maybe like ego. And yeah. saving face. Yeah. I have to justify why you deserve this or why I did that action because I had a good reason. So it's not fully my fault. I had a good reason. Yeah. Right. It's to save you from acknowledging that you were wrong or you made a mistake. So it, it kind of acknowledges it and then goes back. And going back, the word of the day lack of empathy. <laughs> <laughs> You're what not, do you think? You're, you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. But people never want to be wrong. And I'm willing to accept that to say I never want to be wrong. It's very difficult to feel like you're wrong, especially, I don't know, some people just have this within them, and it could be an ego thing. They always want to be right. They always want to be the person who's the top person in like their group of friends or they know everything and so when something gets said wrong it's just like but what about this what about this what about that what about that yeah i think it also 
depends. I agree. Before I'm, what I'm about to say, sure. I agree with what Martin said about it is absolutely shitty when you say I'm sorry, but yeah, I think ideally this is coming from a place of like I, I apologize for what I said, but I think the sentiment still there is valid of let's just say you did something really wrong to a friend and i trash talked you like no tomorrow and you started crying mm-hmm. i think my i would probably also do the same of like i apologize i didn't want to make you cry but i wanted to get i wanted to critique you and i wanted to give you some feedback of don't do this shitty thing ever again mm-hmm. because of xyz reason I can see some applications of when that could be good, I guess. But I, I also agree that whenever you need to apologize, anytime you add something else other than just saying, I'm sorry, I will never do this again, or I'm going to reflect on this feedback and I will do better. If you add anything on top of that, that's more contradictory. Yeah. You're basically going against what the why you're even saying sorry in the first place. Yeah. right? The idea is to tell this other person, like, someone is telling you you did something that crossed a line and if it's a random stranger i for that i can understand how people are more rigid and they become more defensive because you don't know this other person so you don't know where they're coming from what they're feeling you're not empathetic all the stuff that we talked about before Uh, when it comes to friends if you've crossed a line by saying anything aside from you're sorry it you're basically taking it as the like i'm right you're wrong you can say whatever but i don't want to get into this confrontation so Mm. i'm just going to take it but i'm also going to make sure that i tell you my side of the story as well Mm. which if you did something wrong just say i'm sorry and move on you don't have to say other stuff totally just take it and like it doesn't have to be a huge thing it's only as huge as you would make it out to be right if you offended someone you know what dude my bad and i'll take a note of that note it let's move on right but as Martin says, if you try to save face, right, try to maintain your perfect persona yourself in your head, then you're going to make it a big thing to, in order to retain that picture-perfect personality you think you have, your mental image of yourself, right? And it's hard. It's hard to save face to some folks. Their image is all they have. That's that's the only thing they clutch onto like in their life because that's their source of self-confidence, yep. right? Yep. So I think you're right, KP. I think sure. simply just say, you know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. Let's move on. When you, I feel like that is the best approach. And you know, sometimes I'm guilty of not doing that. But I think when you go above and beyond of just saying, hey, my bad, let's, I'll, I'll note for that and I'll move forward. You start damaging that relationship you may have with that person. You may end up losing a relationship because of it, right? Because you're not able to repair this rupture between your relationships. And I actually watched a really interesting video recently on ruptures. Um, you have to a both sides have to be willing to apologize both sides have to be willing to compromise and talk right and you don't fix this rupture then you there's there's two ways you either like move on move forward or you live with this like destroyed bridge in front of you yep on that note i think there was one thing kp mentioned earlier about crying i really (laughs) i i I think i just (laughs) what martin no no go ahead (laughs) i've I find crying, like, sometimes it's triggering. Like, I'm not saying you can't cry. In fact, I'm one of the bigger, biggest cries I know, especially when watching movies and stuff. But when you're crying in order to garner sympathy for others, for them to treat you, like, in an easier light, like, that bothers me. Like, if you're a constant person that gets away with shit just because you're crying, 
like that bothers me a lot because like you're not resolving anything you're trying to get out of a situation because you're crying and that bothers me a lot right and i'll give you an example you know when i was a camp counselor i didn't care if you're a guy girl anybody if you cried and you done somebody wrong like you hit somebody you pushed them over i'm gonna have a certain conversation with you and you start bawling as a way of saying oh honey it's okay it's okay that you push over that kid in a sandpit got sand got in their eyes it's okay because you know what it's not okay we're gonna have a talk about this and how it's not okay we're gonna discuss consequences if you start bawling on me i don't care who you are i'm putting you in a corner on a bench you finish crying and then we can continue this conversation afterwards because it's not okay. And maybe it's just me being biased, but I do find a lot of times when people start crying, everyone just instantly ceases all conversations and just, you know, turns to comfort mode. And mind you, comfort is fine, right? Comfort somebody, but it almost seems like people start excusing someone's actions just because they're crying. It's awkward. I think that's, for me, that's the best way I describe why sure. people become very empathetic because it's awkward. You don't having someone else cry, but you're not crying with them, or it's because you caused them to cry. Goes back to what I think you said earlier, Dan. Of you become the villain, and no one wants to be the villain yeah. ever, unless you're truly evil. And it becomes this awkward thing of like, okay, this person is crying. I'm not crying. How do I make it so that they're not crying so that we can continue this conversation? Oh, they feel so bad. I feel so bad because I got them in the position. It's just, it's a whole whack of emotions of awkwardness that you're forced to make the situation better. And the best way to make a situation better is always going to be, be cheerful, be empathetic, see their side of the story. Sympathetic. <laughs> sympathetic I think it's yeah. more accurate there but yeah but like no like you can still cry and continue this conversation with me right I think you, like I can cry and still talk about you know if you're if you got to fight with your significant other you can both be crying on this couch and continue your conversation on why this relationship is like falling apart and how you both need to work on things right that's what I think or you can say okay I'm crying but hey give me like 10 minutes let me just finish my tears and then we'll continue this conversation again I think would you say that though I Sorry, would. Martin, I, I would. Say, like if I if really, if you, right. if they feel like if they're crying on me, I say, look, it looks like it's a little bit too much for you right now. Do you want to take a walk outside and continue this after your walk? Yeah, I would. Absolutely, I wouldn't leave it unresolved. Uh, okay, okay. That's just me though. That's just me being like, I'm just like that forward and like, if they did something shitty, I'm not letting it go, right? If if I can resolve it, I will resolve it, right? Why let why harbor feelings? Just if you have an issue, let's talk it out. If we can't resolve it, then maybe it's time we. We move move in different pathways, right? I remember, I think this was back during undergrad. We were looking at social psychology or evolutionary psychology, mm-hmm. and our emotions from based on memory, at least. So I could be completely wrong, but our emotions are like almost a instinctual response, right? When you're happy, when you're sad, yep. it, it just shows up on your face. You cannot control it, right? Yep. Same thing with crying, and that also leads to the associated response which is what you do when you see that emotion being expressed in your peer and so what i'm trying to get at here is that uh, we instantly kick into the comfort mode when someone's crying because that's what our natural instinct is to do right it's evolutionary speaking that's how we survive and work together as a social unit or group it's so we can repair relationships so if you're sad we comfort each other that said, I think to your point, uh, some people have gotten to habit of abusing it and using it. 
as a tool or means to manipulate the other. So I think I think that's where where that kind of comes from. Yeah. Like sometimes you just we can't help it, but to feel bad when we we made someone cry and they're bawling. In addition to the side of, oh yeah, I, I don't want to seem like a villain, as KP pointed out. Yeah. But I I do agree with you where, uh, and I'll extend this beyond just crying. Yeah. If you're emotional, like we had an argument, whether as friends or or even like a, a relationship or your significant other, if we're having an argument and you're upset. And whether you're crying or you're not crying, but you're still very emotional, upset. Yeah, let's take a break. I'll be like, look, I want to finish this later, but I don't want there to be any kind of like hard feelings. So let's take a break and we can come back. Mm-hmm. And I've done that before. Because um, I don't think anyone, when you're really emotional, you're not thinking rationally or logically. And so it becomes very difficult to have a clear discussion. So better to calm down and then revisit the topic a little later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally that's totally good, and I I think I mean that's totally sound advice. I think part of it is that you have to after that if you do take a break from this conversation, there should be a willingness to come back to the table, but mm. both sides should be coming back to the table ready to have an open conversation and ready to again be empathetic. I, I know we're using that a lot. Like be empathetic to each other's like thoughts, emotions, etc. And I think that's how we're gonna have to build. Like that's how I like to build my relationships with people. Some folks just like they putting it under a rug and calling it a day. Maybe you know not cause drama, not cause some confrontation. They rather run away from the issues. And you know that's one way of dealing with it. That's just not how I personally like dealing with things, right? But hey, you know, to each their own. And a day, we're we're all trying to just build this perfect image of ourselves, the inner mental image of ourselves, and. As we talked all the podcast today, you know, no one likes it when their mental image is like being poked at. Always has to be picture perfect every single time. Yep. But that said, I think that brings us to our end of this podcast. This was uh, this podcast went in like a myriad of like directions today. Have fun editing. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so it's it's definitely not the direction I think we wanted to go, but I think it was also a really interesting discussion that I don't think I would have had without this podcast so I'm, I'm thankful we did and who knows maybe we'll come back one day in the future and actually talk about the stuff we wanted to talk about who knows maybe maybe we'll see we'll see i'm i'm okay with this i'm okay i actually enjoy i want to say enjoy impromptu or, sp- or spontaneous conversations about other topics or these Agreed. other t- maybe you could say deeper kind of topics yeah and it's not like this is our last episode. Right. Or is it? I'm doing like a dramatic pause. Um, uh, <laughs> or is it? Or is it? No. But yeah, so we'll have ample opportunities to go into all this other stuff. If yeah. You want to, so. thank, thank you, KP, for joining us once again. I know this is not what you wanted to talk about. Um, no, I was just kidding. I, I agree with Martin. I'm, I am here to talk about whatever. I love it. Yeah. Stuff. No, but this is not what you intentionally signed. Like initially <laughs> signed up for. So thank you. I don't remember what I signed up for. I'll tell you after. But okay. thank you again for dropping by today. Really appreciate your presence and happy to have you as a guest. And uh, hopefully you'll come back for a third segment soon. Yes. Thank you, KP. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, until next time, folks, keep being empathetic. <laughs> Just be good. Just be good human beings. <laughs> Okay, that's all we ask. Just be a that was good the sound of me gagging. 
be your be your perfect selves build those bridges and you know stay hashtag not confused oh my god <laughs> until um. next time we'll see <laughs> we'll hear from you folks in about two weeks time bye see you guys see you like two weeks yeah two weeks and our release schedule is every two weeks I didn't know that